Well, I hate to break it up, but I'm going to. Yeah, what's especially cool about today is um, obviously we're going to celebrate our nation's birthday and the freedoms that we all enjoy. And as a church, we get to worship out here. As Gabe said, man, look at this. Is it getting better than this out here on a public school football field that we can shout the name of Jesus and we have that freedom and we are so blessed and we do take it for granted because that's what happens. But this is a great day to just pause and thank the Lord for what he's blessed us with. And after our uh, our time in the Word for a few moments, we'll uh, guys got a lot of burgers and dogs over there. So whether you came prepared or not, you're joining us. We'd love to have you stick around and get to know some of these great people sitting around you. So um, looking forward to that. Thanks to our crew that's over there getting food ready, and thanks to all the guys that set up and get our audio and video, everything portable out here. So it is great to see all of you, and as Gabe had said, if you're a guest with us, we're especially glad that you came on a day like this, just a little bit more chill, uh, able to talk a little bit longer and get to know you. So please stick around, and, and uh, we'd love to say hi to you. And also share a meal, if the Lord would have that for all of us. We'd love that. So we are in a study. We're in 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bible or your digital thing, find 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to finish up this chapter. Um, and if you miss, you know, when we're doing a series like this, I really encourage you to uh, track along. Uh, it's online. You can watch the service or you can listen to a podcast while you're hiking and doing other good stuff. Uh, but the good thing about that is you stay up with what's going on in the story. Uh, that way I don't feel like I'm supposed to repeat everything every week, which I, I tend to do anyway. So Paul's writing a letter. He's addressing it to a church that he knows well. He spent a lot of time with them. Someone came in the church. It might have been a member. It might have been someone that showed up. Someone came into the church and was talking smack against Paul and causing dissension and causing people to say, what's up with this? And just enough room to have some doubts. And so Paul's writing this letter. We think of it partially like he's defending himself, but actually what he's doing is he's defending the gospel and he's defending ministry. And so what we learn from a passage like this, and we'll see different highlights throughout the, uh, throughout the chapters, but what we see, what we start to learn is uh, we too go through stuff where life seems unfair, kind of being mistreated, someone's talking trash about us, and something's not fair, we don't love everything. There's a way to respond. Um, and we're going to see in our passage today that it really matters. I titled this message, Don't Be Fooled. Uh, I think, I think uh, Travis directed you online. We have the songs, but we also have sermon notes if you want to follow along uh, today or later. Uh, but I called it Don't Be Fooled. Because I think what happens is sometimes people come into the faith, they come to a church, they accept what Christ has done for them, and then they have this mindset that it's all good. And this is going to be like an easy walk, and it's all going to be awesome and positive because, well, I believe in God, and so God's in charge, so things will go well. And things do go well. We are blessed people in so many ways. But the truth is, there's issues, there's struggles, there's other people, there's things that happen. And so Paul is addressing that. Um, and we're going to learn some things that will help us. So in these few verses, in the last part of chapter uh, 2, we're going to start with verse 5, actually. Uh, don't be fooled. My, my only two points. One is forgiveness is required. Everybody say that with me. Forgiveness is required. See, I think maybe some of us in our current 
climate feel like, well, we're big on personal responsibility. So if it's your mess, it's your problem. If you've, you got yourself into that mess, you've done something to deserve this place you're at. And so we tend to have this, this very isolated view of community as opposed to saying, you know what? Uh, Jesus tells us that we always start with forgiveness. We need to get to forgiveness as soon as we can. Look at verse number five, if you have your Bible there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Now if anyone, and this is cool because Paul's addressing a whole church, he's going to refer to a certain situation, but he says, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, but to all of you. So what is he saying? Just right out of the gate, he's saying, there's this issue. It's like the elephant in the room. We all know about it. He's saying that pain that happened, just he's kind of being honest with them, very personal letter. This is the most personal letter of all of Paul's writings. He says, it's after me, but please know it's actually against you. We all feel this together. Why would he say that? Well, he says it because, one, he's an apostle. He is their spiritual teacher, their leader. What he represents is what they believe. And it'd be similar here. When you go through something, when you're being attacked, your faith is being attacked, your community, the people you stand with, the people that you, that you hang with. It's not just isolated, which is a great reminder. Sin is never isolated. Sin never only affects one person. It always spreads. Gossip spreads. Disharmony is among many people, not just an individual. So this is too important for us to miss. Don't be fooled. Conflict rarely affects only one person, and especially as followers of Christ in the body of Christ as a part of this gospel mission that Jesus has for us. It affects all of us. Sin does that. It does not isolate. He says in verse 6, For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. Verse 7, So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So basically what we understand is this thing that happened that caused Paul to write the letter. Remember I mentioned last week he'd been there a couple times. The last time he was there was a really awkward uncomfortable visit. He left feeling like, wow, that didn't go great. They probably felt like, yeah, this isn't going great because you're dealing with the conflict. And now he's writing about that and he's saying, hey, just remember, when that thing happens, it happens to all of us. But then he brings out this thing in verse seven. Now it's time to forgive and bring comfort. What has already happened for this individual is enough. This is a big deal. Something happened. It needs attention. Apparently by now, it's been given attention. It's, we're, we'll see later in the letter uh, that they addressed it, and this person was called out, and however they spoke of it, Paul now says, it's time to turn to forgive and comfort so that he's not overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. Once the issue has been addressed, it's time to move on. Once we've put the, the problem on the table, and we've dealt with it, it's time to let go. No one is served by bringing that up again and again and again. And you say, well, yeah, but I see the same traits. 
because, it, you know, we dealt with it, but now she's doing that again, or he said that thing again. Leave it alone. Forgiveness means we let go of it. He's going to call for three responses. He mentions two right away here, speaking of forgiveness and bringing comfort. Question is for us, what does it look like to turn to forgive somebody? What does it mean to forgive someone like completely? Not like say, oh, I'm sorry, and you're like, well, that's okay, and you move on, but it's ever, never been okay. Like when someone asks for forgiveness or when you give forgiveness, there's got to be something about it that's, gotta, that's got something to it. Forgiveness means, it doesn't mean something didn't happen or there aren't consequences. Whether it's your child or you break the law or something happened in your marriage, forgiveness doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean there are no consequences. Whatever this situation was with this troubling person, no doubt there's consequences. What it does mean is it means that you release the matter, you release the person. You accept the fact as followers of Christ that Christ has forgiven me completely. And some of you need to hear that today because you think Christ has forgiven a part of your past. You think Christ forgave you enough so you can get the ticket to heaven, but there's some other stuff in your life that's kind of sketchy right now, and you're not sure what God thinks of it. Well, we know what God thinks of sin, but we also know that God forgives, and when he forgives, he forgives completely. Everybody say completely. It's really loud out here with the wind, so I need to hear that again. When he forgives, he forgives completely. Say completely. There you go. He doesn't forgive partially. And Paul's saying, man, the guy's been forgiven. Now you need to give forgiveness. You need to live like you have released them. And don't argue it. Don't come back and say, yeah, but. There is no yeah, but. Release them. To comfort, he says, forgive and bring comfort. To comfort means to aid in one's acceptance of forgiveness. You feel uncomfortable? Imagine how they feel. It's hard. That guy that caused the mess, supposing he got things right and he went through whatever discipline it was, you went, just imagine what it was like the next time he walked into the fellowship and they're singing praises and he walks in and he feels like, man, everyone's looking at me because of that thing. Our job in forgiving is to release them, but also to aid in one's acceptance of forgiveness, to relieve, not erase. Please understand when we talk about forgiveness, God redeems us. God doesn't just forgive and say, oh, it never happened, we're all good. He redeems the brokenness. He takes that thing that went sideways, that gossip, that thing that wasn't right, wasn't healthy, and he does something with the mess. He takes the broken pieces, he puts them together. So to forgive or to bring comfort isn't to be naive. It's not to be oblivious to the fact that there are some consequences. There's some unfortunate stuff, and maybe it's gonna be hard to move forward with a really deep level of trust with someone. I get that. But are we forgiving? Are we helping someone be comfortable around us? Or do you want them to see the stink eye, right? They walk in, you're like, yeah, just so you know, I know, and you know, and we know. We're forgiven, but I know, and you know, and we know, and we all know. Don't give them the stink eye. Make them comfortable. Go out of your way. Just like Jesus has done for you. Jesus doesn't give us the stink eye. How's that for the quote of the day, right? He loves you. Fully forgiven, fully redeemed. So then he says in verse 8, so I beg you, that's a strong word, I urge you to affirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. 
And by obedient, I just simply said, I think he means, can you follow through with what you know the scripture teaches? Can you follow through and saying, this person, yeah, they messed up. Something bad happened. I didn't like it. It was uncomfortable. Caused some problems. Can you forgive? Can you comfort? He says, can you love them? Not say I love you and not mean it. I think a lot of us need to do a heart check when we say the words, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I love you. Love is to give of oneself for the benefit of the other person. Love isn't just something that erases bad and says it's all flowers and sunshine and great stuff. Love says, I love you, and we're, it's been a mess. There's some hard stuff going on between us, but please know I love you. Love gives of oneself for the benefit of the other. And if you're not ready for that, then that's where you need to stop. You need to... Need to stay home and kind of check this out. Say, Lord, help me. What am I holding on to? Why the bitterness? Why the anger? Paul tells us in the last letter he wrote, 1 Corinthians 12, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This strong word to urge from the Greek word, it's this idea of, of, of there's caution if you don't. So I beg you to do this. Because actually, if you don't do this, this doesn't go well. We don't just like get over it. It's like some bad things can happen if we don't learn to forgive one another. Verse 10, anyone whom you forgive, Paul says, I also forgive. Paul's like, we've been there. We're going through it together. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. This is a good thing. Forgiveness, to let go and to release something for our good in the very presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. That's verse 11. If you're looking at a Bible, you can mark that or highlight it or come back to it. I think this is one of the most important verses in this whole chapter because here's the deal. It was probably two years ago we were out on this very field as the pandemic was kind of spiraling out of control and everybody's freaking out and we're getting all these mixed messages, both with the pandemic, politics was, was front and center of horrible times, racism was hitting the front page of the news. We had all these issues. Many of them were still hot issues. And I remember saying to you in a message wherever we were, saying, don't be played by the evil one. Don't let Satan take what's hard in life and let him win. Don't give in by adding to it and being stubborn and digging your heels in the ground. Say, yeah, but I think, and yeah, but I believe. Just relax a little bit. Let the Spirit of God do a work, not only in all of our culture and our church, but in us individually. Verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. Clear biblical observation tells you Satan is witty, is what that means. Satan is clever. He's a deceiver. Think about this for a second. How? How could you take the perfect setting, the Garden of Eden? Everything's perfect about it. Adam and Eve, to some, some sense, are walking with God, enjoying the evening strolls through the garden. There's no sin around. And somehow Satan enters and makes this a crime scene. See, that same evil, deceiving enemy of God is at work around us. And sometimes he weaves his way among us. So Paul says, don't be outwitted by the enemy, 
by not forgiving each other, by not bringing comfort to the people that are struggling, by not demonstrating and showing and saying love towards one another. Powerful passage, isn't it, you guys? It's like heavy stuff all of a sudden, but it's huge. Satan is anxious. Satan is anxious to split up churches. Satan is anxious to split up your marriage, to get into your home, and that thing between you and your kid, to let that explode into something that doesn't need to explode. Satan is anxious to destroy. And John, when Jesus says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, I came that they would have life abundantly to steal. Clearly, this is an enemy of the sheep and the example he's giving, but I think it speaks of the enemy of God as well. To steal your life, to steal your joy, to steal your self-worth in Christ. Satan wants you to think, well, Jesus died 2,000 years ago, and there's a lot of good people that are lined up with it, but I'm still a mess, and I don't think he can love me enough. Satan wants to steal your life, your identity. He can't take it away. He can try. He can't do it. He came to kill. Sin always leads to death, the Bible tells us. Sin kills. Jesus did not come to kill. Jesus didn't even come to condemn. He said, I mean, you guys are already condemned. I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Satan comes to destroy. Satan smiles when we're sideways. Satan smiles and finds pleasure when your marriage hits a bumpy road and all of a sudden you, you implode. The enemy is the one that's winning there. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Paul says, don't be outwitted by the enemy by not forgiving someone, by not showing comfort and demonstrating love. When we don't forgive, we give Satan room. If you're holding on to something, you have a hard time forgiving, you're opening the door, letting the enemy come in to steal, kill, or destroy. Now, let me assure you of some good news on that before we get all messed up. I love in John 10 where he says that a few verses later, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father has given them to me as greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. So if you're in a tough spot in a relationship and the forgiveness thing isn't going well or the comfort thing isn't quite there, please know the enemy doesn't have a victory in your life. Doesn't happen. You are in the hand of Jesus as your Savior. If you've come to him in faith, you are in his hand. He is in the Father's hand. And Jesus just said, the enemy can't get to that. You are safe. You are secure. You're fully loved, fully redeemed, fully ready. God knows you. He loves you. So don't look at this like I'm having a hard time with forgiveness as like, well, see there, I told you, God doesn't like me. No, God's in love with you. He loves everything about you. Don't let the enemy hurt your family. Protect your family. Protect your church. You hear gossip, stand up for that person. You hear something, you hear something going down, you stand up for truth. Don't give the enemy a chance to outwit you or anyone else. Everybody good with that? Big, big time teaching there. The second part of the passage, you get down to verse number 12, and here he says, don't be fooled, God directs us. God directs us. 
Remember part of the issue of this letter is the church is like miffed because Paul said, hey, I want to come see you. And then some things kind of got winky and he never made it there. He came back later. And so they were like, see, you can't trust Paul. God directs us in victory with purpose. Hear that again. God directs us in victory, but with purpose. He doesn't say, hey, good luck, make it on your own. He's totally leading us and directing us. At Grace, we like to use the phrase that we're spirit-led. Spirit-led applies to the everyday moments, to everyday life. I hope you're here this morning because the Spirit said, hey, let's do this. Let's just go to church. Let's worship with these guys. Let's get to know some folks. Spirit-led also addresses the big things. What would God have me do with this? How is God leading in this? And so sometimes our plans change. And I said that last week. I don't know if you've ever had that. I know you have. Sometimes our plans change. And honestly, we just got to say, God can do that, right? Sometimes things go differently. It's like, okay, God had something else in mind. When Paul uh, was in Troas, he was going to go to Corinth. And he, uh, he was troubled because he didn't see Titus where Titus was supposed to be. And so Paul was like, man, something's not right. Can you imagine living in a world where you're not texting and say, hey, where are you? Can you imagine living in a world where there's no communication of, so I thought Titus was going to be here and he's not. You have no idea where he is, what's going on. Uh, We live in a world where instantly around the planet we can text, we can call, we can know what's going on. Didn't have that. So he was troubled by that. So his plans changed as he headed towards Macedonia. The circumstances were not comfortable. And Paul could not explain the detours, the disappointments, but he was sure that God was in control. Sometimes our plans change. God does that. We give him the praise because when he leads us, he leads us us with purpose. One guy said it this way, Paul's zeal for the gospel brought him to Troas, but his passionate concern for the Corinthians kept him from staying there, despite the opportunities for even preaching the gospel. Sometimes you're in a good place, and God's like prompting you to make a decision to do something different, to go over here, to start this thing. And you're like, well, this isn't broken yet. Paul didn't have to leave. He just felt like God was leading him. So don't wait for the things to fall apart and break before, well, God's doing something. Things can be great where you are, and God can still prompt a change and lead us. That's exactly what happened for Paul. So he addresses that. In verse 14, He now goes from explaining the travel and how much we need to forgive this guy and move on. He jumps in verse 14, and this is a pivot as now the next several chapters, he kind of gives this praise to God. Verse 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. I'm going to read the last part of this and just explain it for a second. For we, Paul says, for we are the aroma, the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. So both. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Verse 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. This last section, what Paul's saying is this. Begin with with verse number 14. In their day, we don't think of it as much today, but we have one idea. They would have this triumphal procession. When Rome, when someone went to war and was the victor, and especially if that war involved adding uh, uh, property to the Roman Empire, 
the, the Roman emperor in the city of Rome would give this person uh, permission to have what we would call a parade through town. You come through parade. You come through town. So here's the, here's the, the general, the, the one who's in charge of that battle. He comes, and as he comes through, he has the prisoners behind him. He's got people there honoring him. It's all because of the victory that was won. So Paul uses that and says, in Christ, we are on this procession. Christ has come. Christ is the victor. Christ has won. We belong to him. We've been enslaved by him because of his goodness. So Paul says, man, thanks be to God. Things happen. Uh, relationships get, 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 get challenging. Things are all, not always perfect, he says. But what he comes back to is, man, God is doing something. As he directed my route to you, I know Paul's probably thinking Romans 8, 28. I know that all things work together for good. I know somehow God is in all these parts of my life. And so there's this, this beautiful teaching, and this will kind of be a theme for a while through several chapters, that God is the one that's directing. I hope, gang, that it's God who's directing you, and you're giving him that room. You're saying, Lord, guide me today. Help me to get all messed up if, if plans change or if someone didn't come through or something's different than I thought it would be. Lord, I trust you for this because I'm yours. That last section, I think the emphasis is we belong to him. God's in charge of, this, of the calendar. Uh, if you think you are, God just kind of smiles at you. God's in charge. He knows where you're headed. He knows what your, what your day looks like next week. He's got us, so I can trust him with that, and I can give him praise. So as we, as we work our way through this passage, these principles that we're learning, don't be fooled. This stuff really, really matters. Forgiveness is required. We, we don't hold on to something thinking, well, I'm going to get the last word. No, it doesn't work. We're, we're being outwitted by the enemy. Instead, be free to forgive, quick to extend grace and mercy to others. As together we say, God, thank you for what you're doing in our church, in our life, even in our country, the things that you like, the things that you don't like. God, we, we trust you. That this is where you have me. You have me here, and I'm trusting you fully to walk in, in his ways, as we saw last week, and the integrity of trusting him. Let me pray for us, you guys. Thank you so much for being attentive and being with us. This study is, I think, directing us to the heart of worship, that God is the one who redeems us. God is the one who has changed us. And so we find our identity with that. We find our purpose with that. We know that ahead of us, God is at work. So let me pray for you. And as I do, we're also going to pray God's blessing on the food. And as soon as we're done, you are welcome to go jump in and just spread out, have a great time, and, and uh, play some games, hang out as long as you'd like. We're so glad to have you be a part of this. God, we are grateful uh, today that we're out here in the sunshine and thankful for your kindness to, to meet with us and these songs that we express in worship that we sang and, and the word that you teach us, that you're guiding us each and every day. Lord, that we, we don't want to be fooled by the works of the enemy. We don't want to be fooled by our own pride that holds back forgiveness and comfort and love. But instead, God, we want to be all in for you. I thank you for those that are with us, some that may be new with us, may be new in our congregation or new to our town. Lord, help us to be welcoming and inviting. And, uh, and I, God, I just pray, God, that you'd bless each one as we enjoy some, uh, some food and, and get to know each other. Uh, God, we're so grateful for your kindness. And Lord, this country we live in is not perfect. It's, this isn't heaven. This isn't the end of the road. But we live in a country where it's, we are amazingly blessed. We have so much to be thankful for. 
And I thank you for the men and women who've served and blessed over the uh, 200 plus years to give us the freedoms and allow us to enjoy the liberty of standing out here proclaiming your name. God, I pray that you would allow us to, to not just rejoice in that, but to also use that to the advantage of spreading the gospel throughout our culture, around our country, and around the world. God, we know that you're at work, and we just love you for that. We thank you that, you that you allow us to participate with you. So God, I pray your blessing on the food right now, that we would enjoy some time together. Thanks for the people that made it happen. And God, I just thank you for letting us uh, be your people. Uh, we ask your blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen.